0: hello and welcome to the let's talk transformation podcasts in this episode we will be discussing the place of emotions in the workplace and in workplace culture i am delighted to welcome jeremy dean founder of riders and elephants and the emotional culture deck game jeremy welcome to the show
1: thanks very much susie
0: Jeremy, you strive to make complex conversations simple (laughs) and to shift behaviors, particularly around expressing emotions and creating the human emotional connection at work, a quest we clearly share. (laughs) And I remember when I first discovered your game, the emotional culture deck, I loved it and I still use it regularly, but I also love the thinking behind it. Well, what I think is the thinking behind it, but you'll tell me the story of starting small and tapping into people's emotions to create sustainable change. So the sustainable change piece for me is massively important, as we know, and the studies back it up, that there is a significant impact of emotions on how people perform on task, but also how engaged and creative they are and how committed they are to their organisations and particularly how they make decisions. So if I look at COVID... (laughs) And all the repercussions of such a pandemic, as we move out of this pandemic, where people are struggling with how they feel and relate to work, the emotional culture debt for me just takes on a new dimension in terms of what it's doing and how it can leverage uh, sustainable change in, in organizational culture. But my first question has to be uh, riders and elephants. So the name <laughs> the name of your company, I know your mission is to humanize decisions by getting people talking and giving people the language they need, so emotional literacy, effectively, to make that happen. But why riders and elephants? Is it linked to the analogy, uh, Jonathan Haidt's analogy, in the happiness hypothesis around the two sides of the brain, emotional side and rational side? This is my assumption. But, yeah, can you tell me what rider and elephants means for you and where it came from?
1: Yes. So I've unashamedly stolen Jonathan Haidt's metaphor. of The Rider and the Elephant from his book, The Happiness. Mm. But I didn't actually first come about it or come across the metaphor there. I came across it in Dan and Chip Heath's work oh, Switch. Switch. Yeah, mm. How to Change When Change is Hard. And I read that book about eight years ago, and that was one of the books that's changed my life. Yeah, that's when I first came across the metaphor for The Rider and the Elephant. And actually, I really love the way that they – Broke down that metaphor and communicated it in a really simple way. I still have mm-hmm. a piece of A4 paper where I sketched out their explanation of the model uh, yeah. in such a beautiful, simple way. And then I then started researching the metaphor further and then found mm-hmm. Jonathan Haidt's work and the happiness hypothesis. But it was Dan and Chip Heath's work. It was their stories about the ride of the elephant that first inspired me to go, maybe there's something more to human behavior than. Than what I'd <laughs> understood previously. And it just gave me a really simple model to look at the world through. And I've got to be careful. And I think we should all be careful to only look at the world through one model. I think it's, it's helpful to, to have a whole bunch of different models to look at the world mm-hmm. through. But that one particularly um, inspired me and sent me down this path of helping people express themselves in the workplace.
0: You can get into theory overload, otherwise, can't you? Where you're just sort of pulling off everything and, and it doesn't simplify anything. But so tell me about how the emotional culture deck, therefore, which came into being, was it sort of, did the Riders and Elephants lead to the emotional culture deck or did you set up Riders and Elephants because you'd had the idea on the emotional culture deck? Well, yeah, tell me a little bit about that.
1: No, that's a great question. And now I'm going to think back to when it started. I don't think Riders and Elephants came first. The emotional culture deck came first. And I actually wanted to call my company Switch. Really? Yeah. (laughs) But when I Googled Switch and there was a a bunch of other transformation agencies and consultancies Mm. already called Mm. Switch. And so my heart sunk and I was like, damn it, I can't call my organization, Mm. my business, the name I wanted to. And so then I went a step further and went for Riders and Elephants. But the game came Mm. first. I knew about the metaphor and understood Mm. the metaphor and emotion before the Emotional culture that came about, but riders and elephants wasn't a business then. It was just this mm. fanciful idea I had in my mind. It was just a game. Mm. When the game started to create some sort of momentum and gain some momentum, I was like, maybe I should build a business around this game now. And that's where <laughs> yeah. the that's where the business came about. I didn't set out to start a business. I didn't even set out to sell card games or design card games. That just came about by accident. But that's wow. where I've landed because of some people say it's a a ridiculous idea but we give away this game for free i
0: think that's fabulous and, and i think meant,
1: just yeah depend- that potential got-
0: you can unlock is just fab giving it away for free but also just the idea can you walk our listeners through because we're talking about the ecd the emotional culture deck i clearly know what it is because i use it but can you just walk our listeners through what it actually is and just how simple it is for such a complex subject
1: <laughs> yeah well it's a it's a card game It's a game that's made up of about 82 or 87 cards. And within those cards, are a whole bunch of emotion labels, pleasant emotions and unpleasant emotions. There's about 42 odd pleasant or desired emotions. Joy, um, inspiration, thoughtful, brave, confident, inspired, those sorts of labels for emotions Mm. or feeling states one could describe them as. Mm. And then there's also about 35 or 36 unpleasant or undesirable emotions or feelings in the pack. And you simply go through it as a leader and you select the cards that you'd like your people to feel or not feel in the workplace. Mm. There's a couple of core questions. What do we need our people to feel to be successful? And on the flip side of that is, what do I need to feel at work to be successful? It takes you on a journey to discover those things. Because I believe as a group of leaders, if we could sit down and come to consensus on the things that we believe we need our people to feel, then, yeah. it's, then we can have a really powerful conversation about how we need to behave. And the actions we've mm. putting in place to help our people feel those pleasant emotions and what we should do to help people manage and cope when they're feeling the undesirable emotions, whether we want to believe it or not, emotion governs human, beha- human behavior. Yeah. How we behave is governed by how we feel. And there's plenty of people who don't want to believe that or, or their experiences will tell them that's not true. It's their right to believe that. But I believe the opposite. And there's 20 years of research that suggests the opposite to be true and we just don't have conversations about emotion in the workplace because we've been told for so long there's no ROI, uh, a waste of time. <laughs> That's um, it doesn't people feel they should just do their effing jobs mm. and all these things. <laughs> yeah, Emotion drives behavior and we don't talk about emotion when it comes to workplace culture. And so this game helps us do that in a, in a way that makes it safe, easy and simple to do.
0: We stay at the cognitive level, don't we? A little bit like in education for the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. that th- We just look at cognitive intelligence and the cognitive le- uh, layer and the emotional layer doesn't really get talked about and therefore people are uncomfortable. What were your biggest challenges in putting together the game? Because I'm sure it didn't come just like that from one day to the other.
1: No, we got. I think we got to about version 15 before we launched it, <laughs> before we <laughs> okay. actually started mm. selling it online. And I... One of the biggest challenges was getting people just to try it out, use it. And that's one of the reasons why we actually give it away for free. Because early on, I was getting so much pushback and so much rejection. People scratching their heads and looking at me as if I was mad, saying, why do we need this? And it's a waste of time and it won't work. And and I was spending a lot of time and energy trying to convince people that it did matter and that it was going to work. And that wasn't working. And I realized that actually, (laughs) yeah, I had to give people... The only way to change people's beliefs around that was to change their behavior, I felt, mm-hmm. and help them see something different. And to do that, I felt I had to give it the game to people for them to find out themselves. Because
0: there's mm-hmm. nothing
1: like discovering something for yourself and then, and then how powerful that you then create reasons for why it works. Whereas I could sit here and tell you why this matters and all the evidence for it. But if you still don't believe that, mm-hmm. nothing really I say is going to help you change your belief set or your mind. know enough, it's called the backfire effect. There's some really cool mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm. that and what I felt was that if I gave you the game for free though and you started playing it you might then come up with reasons why it could now work and you would convince mm-hmm. yourself and then change your belief set around it so giving it away to people to download and and play themselves has helped us because there's been less cynicism because they're like, well, I can at least test this out before before I invest yeah. in it or before I mm-hmm. invest time or money into it and like getting people to test it was the number one difficult thing but I quickly Changed my mindset, I guess, and my approach. And I, and I was reading Seth Godin, and he talks about find the people who believe in what you believe, and work yeah. with them. And find your tribe. <laughs> find your tribe, yeah. And so yeah. I started spending more energy on the people who were interested in it, because I hoped that they would then introduce it to other people who were like minded, so then I could then build on that. The testing it was the was the number mm. one difficult thing, and it's probably sort of why it took so long—a couple of years of development—to get it out into the world. Mm. The second biggest challenge, which is related to the people not wanting to test it, is that eight out of ten times people would say, I don't get it or emotions don't matter around here. Right. Statement. Yeah, yeah, which is a very finite statement in itself, (laughs) isn't it? Like Emotions don't matter here. We won't be able to have that conversation. And I found that really challenging because I knew from when I was testing it how people were responding to it, but then you can sound like a bit of a a crazed evangelist about your own work if you're constantly telling people about how great it is. And I'm weary of that as well because I don't want to be that type of person. But
0: of course,
1: I just knew I had to get I had to get the game in people's hands because when they played it, mm. they would realize that they can do the thing that they said they couldn't do.
0: Yeah, it's sort of light bulb moments, isn't it? But so does that mean that you sort of beta tested it at an individual level and then moved to the more collective level? Or how did that work? Because I love the fact that it you can use it at either level. I think that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, all my beta testing early was with individuals mm, because it's okay. far easier to get a coffee meeting with one person yeah. <laughs> and play the game with them over a coffee at the cafe or in their meeting room. And so all of my m- most of my beta testing in the first five versions of it were with individuals. Right. And then I finally had some success with convincing. I say convincing because it was convincing. Uh, I can
0: imagine. I can some imagine. organizations
1: <laughs> to take a chance on, on yeah. testing it at a team level. And I think in about version six, I managed to to find an organization who was willing to to take um take a punt on me and the game and mm-hmm. say, Yeah, come and try it with our team. But even mm-hmm. then, in the first in the early iterations of it testing with teams, I still focused on individuals. So we would get a team together. We would focus on the leaders going, how do we want our people to feel? And I remember at about version six of the game, a team, a local government body, they were using it, but they didn't oh. want me to ha- they didn't want me to help. So I said, Well, Ah. that's okay but there's one condition of me selling you this selling you this prototype for you to use was that um i could come and watch you run the workshop because i really wanted to learn and i thought the best way to learn was to to be in the room and observe of course and i remember them going through the workshop and not following the instructions in the game at all (laughs) they didn't ask what do we want our people to feel and not feel at work they asked how do we want the stakeholders we work with to feel and not feel Mm. I was like, that's interesting. So immediately somebody had already hacked the game and they'd started having (laughs) a conversation about emotions with a different group of people. And I thought, maybe there's something else to this game. Maybe people can pull it apart and use it to have conversations that they need to have rather than the ones that I'm just promoting with the questions in the game. And so there was some, some aha moments in that engagement. And I went actually... Maybe there's another conversation here. Maybe we should be asking, yeah, how stakeholders want to be feeling and not feeling. Or So the testing allowed me to find new things within the game. That's a
0: safer conversation to have, isn't it? Because it's a little bit more distant from oneself. <laughs> you know, how do I want my stakeholders to feel? I don't really have to question myself then, do I? Not, Not in the same way. Is that how the customer experience deck was born? Because I know that you've now developed it into customer experience deck as well. And I do think that this game is around the human experience and essentially the employee experience and then the leadership experience. But it's about getting close to your own emotions, isn't it? So I can understand why they took a step back and went, let's use it for our stakeholders. I was also pleased but a little bit intrigued to see the customer experience deck. Tell me, did that come from that observation or?
1: No, so the customer experience deck came first. It's sort of a weird roundabout. So, Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, the, the emotional culture deck came from me through the testing of the customer experience deck. So because I'd come from a customer experience, not technically customer experience, but brand, marketing, and design background, we're dealing with customers in that world a lot. And I was looking for a simple conversation to have um, with our clients around brand. And I've been reading the work of Brian Solis. He's a futurist. I think Mm -hmm. that's his term, he's a futurist. and, And he had a line in his book that said, experience is the new brand. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I I love the simplicity of that. I love the vividness of that. I love where that could take us as a a question. And I just extended that to go, well, if experience is the new brand, what is an experience? An experience is something that you feel. And so that's when I first came up with the customer experience deck because I put a hundred emotions in a pack of cards and said, what do we want our customers to feel? And then based on that, answering that question, if we could decide that we want our customers to feel inspired, confident, and brave, then what do we need to do to help our customers feel those things? And then we could have a conversation around our brand. Right. Okay. So that's where, that's where that game came from. But I took that game to a friend in Auckland and she tested it for me and said, I don't have customers. I've got people inside my company because she, <laughs> she was an HR. Right. I was like, well, well, of course, Like this game doesn't work for you. Why don't we change the question to what do you want your people to feel? Mm. Not what do you want your customers to feel? And so... Essentially, the emotional culture deck came out of an employee experience question, right? A really simple question. What do we want our people to feel and not feel at work? Uh, And then the CX deck just went on the back burner for like two years because I got down this wormhole of the emotional (laughs) culture deck and emotions in the workplace. But I'd also, up until that point, to be honest, I hadn't really been, i actually at all, I hadn't been interested in emotions in the workplace. I'd been interested in culture. Workplace culture, but nobody, none of my heroes, none of my idols, like Jim Collins, Patrick Lencioni, um, Simon Sinek, none of those people were talking about emotions in the workplace. They were just talking about values and behaviours.
0: Yeah, they're not expressly talking about emotions, I suppose.
1: Yeah, no, well, they weren't to me anyway. When I was starting out in this world, and I guess Mm -hmm. being an amateur or learnt or or starting out because this was eight years ago when I was starting Mm -hmm. in this in this world, I guess. I needed things to be read explicit for me to see them and connect the dots. And mm. none of the people I was learning about and following like those people, and far more than and amazing other people were were using that language or having that conversation. But Sigal Bassard and Mandy O'Neill at Wharton and and yeah, Wharton in the US, at amazing professors in the US, they'd been doing research into this for 20 years. And I stumbled across their work and went, wow, there's a whole world of there's a whole <laughs> universe of research Mm -hmm. work into the power of emotion on the culture of a team yet we'd not been focusing on that at all we'd only been going let's have this cognitive conversation what they call cognitive culture Mm -hmm. and talk about the purpose vision and values and not touch on emotion at all yet emotion drives human behavior so yeah yeah.
0: we talk about purpose vision and values but not how it makes us feel
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 which that's that was my aha moment i went wow we've been going about this wrong we've been focusing on Belief set and values, and then behaviors how we need to behave as a team and not touch an emotion. But yet, emotion governs human behavior. Our behaviors reinforce our belief set around the world. Felt like we've been going, as a consultant, I had at least been working the wrong way. That's when mm-hmm. I said, let's flip it. Let's start with the conversation about emotions in the workplace. Yeah. Then talk about behaviors that reinforce the desired and undesired emotions and then have a conversation and only then have a conversation about beliefs and values and so that's the approach that was sort of started taking from that which for me follows human human behavior more mm. so than the the approach of these titans like Collins and Lencioni.
0: <laughs> and did you have like a vision of where the emotional culture deck would go or has it just been like one big surprise that that it's so successful and that people are using it in in such diverse ways.
1: No, yeah. It's been one big surprise because... It's a nice one. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lovely one. It's a daunting one as well. And it's overwhelming. Mm. Originally, this was going to be a little free giveaway that I'd used to build my consulting business because I'd only had four years of experience at the time. And I felt like I needed something to get me in the door of workplaces or agencies to say, hey, this is who I am and this is my work. But then people said they just wanted to buy it and use it. And I've deliberately relinquished quite a lot of control around the game. So you can buy the game, download the game, and use it however you please. Mm -hmm. There's no restrictions on how you use it, who you use it with, the questions you ask. Essentially, if you can design a beautiful question, you can then use this game to help you answer it. Yeah. And that's meant, though, that people who are far smarter, far more creative, uh, with far more experience, have used the game in ways that I didn't imagine but I've been fortunate then to learn from them, and they've shared it with me. so that's mm. it's created this it's created this circular this circular system where somebody uses it a new way, they share it with our community and it goes round and round.
0: Which is really nice because that's the power of the inte- the collective intelligence around it, isn't it? Is that teams will probably make their own models from it, and different consultants have different views on and different methods on how they work with people. And I do think national culture plays plays a role in there in terms of you know how open that conversation is around emotions anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it must be yeah. interesting to see all the different things coming back in.
1: Yeah, well, I remember when we first met, it must have been a couple of years ago now, maybe even longer, I remember asking you, what what's the national culture with in France? What's the culture in France mm. like? Are people open to having conversations about emotion mm. in France or not? And I think at the time, mm. you, I remember you saying that potentially it was a lot more hierarchical and people weren't that mm. open to it. Is that, mm. is that the case?
0: Yeah, it wasn't a normalised conversation. It wasn't. A conversation that they have very often i think it's changing and i think yep. covid is is partly to i was going to say to blame but that's not fair has opened the opportunity for all cultures to have different conversations around the workplace particularly the hybrid models and things like that but yes and, and i do think you know even from one european country to another never mind different continents <laughs> the the cultures are quite different around the workplace and it is perception of hierarchy and perception of power and what's and then you have the organizational culture of you know what's Do we do around here, and what don't we do around here, and which conversations are taboo, and which conversations aren't? But yes, yeah, I did see the difference with, um, for example, between Anglo-Saxon and French culture. But I think that almost sparks an even richer debate because you have various nationalities in the same room, and I think it's that's where it's great that the conversation is so simplified because it's not a simple conversation as we know. Mm. So the fact that you know there's the sort of a gaming element to it, and that people actually they don't have to say it, do they? Because it's on the card. And that's what I really like because that allows them to express things that they may not necessarily express.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's, I've deliberately designed a lot of autonomy into the process, into the game. Because mm. I'm a huge mm. believer in autonomy in terms of human behavior and driving us. Yeah. And that autonomy is that you can choose. We don't tell you which cards to choose. You choose the no. cards that resonate with you. Mm. And then you also attribute meaning and a definition to mm. them. There's not definitions on our cards. So we don't say the definition no. inspired is xyz I've purposely left that off because why I pick feeling inspired I want to feel inspired and what inspired means to me will be different from what it means yeah. to you and different to somebody else in the room and mm. I think the true connection becomes in the story comes within the story sharing of those those moments
0: yeah and, and how they build it but I've also seen which I think is brilliant that you started a pilot in the, in schools yeah yeah tell me about that how, how is it received by? You're, well, how old are the children? Is it
1: primary school or? And, well, primary school kids use the game, which blows my mind. But yeah. I've started the, pilot. <laughs> the pilot I'm running at the moment is with high school kids between the ages right. of 15 and 17. And the rules and the lessons I've learned in this pilot, and from learning from other people who use the game with school kids, mm. are the same. Are the same ones that I faced five years ago, six years ago with adults? Because ironically, the gatekeepers to those schools are adults. And they're often imparting Mm -hmm. their own fears and discomforts and anxieties and cynicism and skepticism Mm -hmm. onto onto the game, which is then onto the kids, right? So the conversations I have with schools are, it's not going to work. Kids won't open up to you. It's too nuanced or they don't have the labels and the words. And my response is, this game gives people and kids the labels. They will open up because I've never had a chance to before. Uh, And what I've learned, and it's this is equally as true for leaders in the workplace. It's the leader's discomfort that's yeah. causing this conversation not to happen because mm-hmm. even though it's not normalised in France, Hong Kong, South Africa, Bolivia, all places we've sold the game and I know the mm-hmm. game is used and works, even mm-hmm. though culturally it's not normalised, I get feedback from people in those countries who use the game and go, wow, mm-hmm. these people well, re- really resonated with them.
0: And I think that's because humans are what humans are and we're all want to connect emotionally it's just we've been conditioned by education or society or or culture
1: not to do so or
0: not to do so overtly
1: yeah and I think leaders are what leaders are but bad leaders are what are what bad leaders are and what I mean by bad leaders is a bad leader potentially is somebody who who is so uncomfortable with that conversation that they won't even allow their team to have it because of their own discomfort mm, yeah
0: and- but I think even the observation Jeremy that I'm a leader and I'm not comfortable with this conversation. Even that is a light bulb moment. You know, this is I don't want to have this conversation. Unless I step out of my comfort zone, I'm not going to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I found that at the schools as well. The gatekeepers or the 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 leaders at schools who have who who are the ones who make the decision to allow this mm. conversation to happen in schools mm. will have those same fears. Ultimately, it's a fear. And my job, I feel as if how I can alleviate that fear, help them manage that fear, help them lean into that fear to have the conversation. Mm. Because when we played the game with this, with this group of young, uh, young adults, I always ask people, adults or young adults or children or um, slightly older children. I ask them two questions at the end of any engagement testing. Anyway, is Mm. what did you like about it, and what do you wish? I Mm. like, I wish, Mm. and. The majority of the feedback from my like was was really positive. And even one fellow said that he liked speaking his truth. And that's a 16-year-old kid who's writing down that he's just he's just having a conversation that his school leader has said that can't happen or won't happen or they won't be open and honest and vulnerable. Mm. And I've just seen a group of 16, 14 to 17-year-olds share emotions, Mm. share their vulnerabilities for the first time. Mm. And I'm going, well. Okay, there's there's people want to talk about this. They just don't know how, and yeah. we give it. We're giving them permission and the labels to do that. And so, I think it's unbelievably powerful for young people. I wish I had the ability or somebody to to nudge me to have mm. this conversation when I was growing up. So, mm. so yeah, it's really powerful. And yeah, even younger kids can have it.
0: And I think it's just it's creating that space, isn't it, that you need if you want to create a trust base, whether you as a community, as a family, as in a school or in a team, in an organization. I just think it's that, like you say, giving permission to put those thoughts out there and those feelings out there that are a little bit vulnerable and that may make you vulnerable. You know, it's sort of creating that understanding that it's okay in the same way that it's okay not to be okay if I come on to mental health or well-being or anything like that. You know, it's normalising these taboo discussions. We're talking about organisations, but they're taboo in lots of collective areas, aren't they? Lots of communities, lots of schools, lots of societies. What's the most transformational thing for you about rolling out this game
1: massively yeah two parts of that when when i hear the word what's the most transformational transformational thing is like i can't not think about a story early on when i was using this game where tell, people me, tell came, me the story <laughs> yeah we were working in a in an engineering organization and so potentially if you're looking at to stereotype people that wouldn't have this conversation it might be engineers right really hard skilled mm-hmm. rational people Mm-hmm. that that was anxiety driving for me anyway when I was working with that organization and that team but at the <laughs> but end, and your stuff your stuff yeah. coming up yeah. it's my stuff coming up again right mm-hmm. this this is the mm-hmm. recurring thing for me it's the it's the leader of the conversations emotions mm-hmm. that are that getting the way or or close off people from this but luckily I'm leaning into my own fears with this because mm-hmm. I naturally mm-hmm. I need to because I designed the game but mm-hmm. at the end of that and that the end of that engagement two people coming up to me and saying, that's the best culture program I've been through. And my response to that was, can you tell me a little bit more about why? And they've told me that they've been in that organization for eight years and i have gone through two different culture program changes as two new CEOs have come in. Mm-hmm. And they said that they've been previously asked to be part of the value setting group. And they've been part of these workshops to say, what do we think our values are? And he said, We've never done it at a team level and we've never talked about emotion. And previously, I've never really felt part of those things because they don't listen to what we say anyway. And so mm-hmm. the most transformational thing for me that I've learned and I've noticed is that I really believe this game works in a bottom-up way
0: Yeah.
1: and focus at the subcultural level. So the mm-hmm. logistics team can work together and define the emotional culture for their team. And the marketing mm-hmm. team can work together to define the emotional culture of their team. And that's driven by those people and those teams to get the best out of them and their environment, rather than the traditional approach, which is simply just a homogeneous, top-down, value-setting communication Mm -hmm. exercise, essentially. And you can't change a system unless you can change the small parts of it. Agreed. This gives us permission Mm -hmm. to change small parts of it because we say, we appreciate that the marketing team, you are different from the finance team. Mm -hmm. And let's learn from you individually what you need, plus what your team needs, and then work Mm -hmm. our way up that way. And so I think the most transformational thing is this game gives you permission to work at a at a subcultural level. I think that's massively underestimated or undervalued when it comes to culture change with an organization. Mm, It's just not talked about.
0: That's the whole point, is it the emotional layer isn't talked about? Okay, time is running, but I would like to ask you, what would your final call to action be for leaders and organizations looking to unlock the emotional potential of their team or their organization over and above using your game, of course? (laughs) Your game will leverage this discussion but what would your real call to action be for
1: them we've got to face our own fears and insecurities first which Mm -hmm. takes some humility but if we're not willing to lean into our own fears and insecurities and learn more about ourselves, we can't potentially we we can't even manage others you've got to manage your own emotions before you can manage your team's emotions so Mm -hmm. it all starts with self for me and We need to learn about what we don't know. We need to lean into our own insecurities and fears because that will give us insight into into what's stopping us, what barriers are in the way. So it might sound cliche, but more than ever, I'm determined that uncovering the fears of our leaders will uncover the things that are in the way of stopping the change or the cultural change within the organization that we wish to seek.
0: Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to leave our listeners with that then to uncover their own fears and to start questioning their own assumptions. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts and your experience with us. Where can people find out more about you and what you do and the different games?
1: Just go to www.ridersandelephants.com, or just Google the Emotional Culture Deck and you'll get pages of people, photos, people using the game and then follow your way to the website. And on the website, you can download all of our games for free via PDF. our new game the well-being deck download that one play with that one the customer experience deck the ECD there's no barriers to, to playing with this game so yeah go play have fun
0: yes go and step out of your comfort zone and direct the rider and motivate the elephant that's the switch thing isn't it okay excellent we hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did please head over to iTunes and leave your review and your comments it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation